Hello, I'm Henry Raby. I'm a poet and I'm sat in my bedroom. I've spent a lot of time in this room over the past year, flanked by two giant stuffed bookcases, a pile of gifted stationery, an often unmade bed, and a window out to a rainy, freezy, wintry York. These are the Say Out But Stay In tapes. Conversations with poets recorded in January 2021 during the global coronavirus pandemic. Before a gig, I feel a tigger-like spring in my feet. My brain will flitter through a catalogue of intros and hellos. I'll take extra caution to grab the mic in just the right way, with an energy that says, hey, we're doing a gig now, but not too much energy to send it crashing to the floor. Since the pandemic hit, I've done three live performances, and I'm incredibly grateful for those opportunities. If anything, my buzzy anxiety that I draw upon for a performance has only been increased by the adrenaline of my body going, hey, we're doing a gig now. Just not used to it. In this podcast, I chat to Dami Ohiria. Okay, um, I am in my sister's kitchen. And Bridget Hart. Okay, um, I am in my home, um, which is a converted shop garage, been converted into a bedsit. Uh, so I'm surrounded by all of my cool stuff. Not all of my cool stuff, because some of my anime figurines are at my mum's house. <laughs> Dami was part of Sheffield University's Uni-Slam team. She's a Say Out Slam champion and has been commissioned by the University of Sheffield. She's also a medical student. Bridget is co-host of the Chips and Beans podcast, Southwest producer for Full Book's Sake, and co-editor of Burning Eye Books. Dami's 2020 has been pretty busy. She's performed at multiple online events. In June, she won the Slam Dunk Poetry Slam and took part in the Animation Slam. I asked Dami whether she's someone that naturally says yes to events. That is definitely a habit of mine, just saying yes. <laughs> I'll do that. Initially, it was, you know, at the start of everything, sort of March time, I actually had a lot of free time because placements for, for medical students like myself were cancelled. So actually I was home. I was doing all my studying, of course, but I wasn't physically out in hospitals. So I could use that extra time and did um, quite a lot more poetry stuff. Later on, when we actually started going back into hospitals, I had to, I, I dropped a lot, actually. Um, I haven't been as, as active um, on the poetry scene as I would um, like to, ideally. But that's, again, because there's been that other demand on my time. So I'm physically out on placement and then I'm having to study as well. Um, of course, placement time now is busier because there's just a lot more mm-hmm. going on. So it's, I kind of, I'm a go with the flow kind of person. When I have more time outside, um, out of medicine, I dedicated to poetry. When medicine calls um, for me a little bit more, I pull back a little bit. And I just kind of chop and change depending on the situation. It was really good for me in the first instance because I wouldn't have been able to attend that slam if it wasn't for the global situation. Um, so actually things going online made things a little bit more accessible for me. So on the one hand, it was good. Um, on the other hand, it was just strange because normally I perform things and I sort of feed off the audience's energy. And of course, you've got this situation where you're sat in your in your living room, <laughs> essentially performing at your computer, hoping people are, are vibing off what you're saying anyway. So that was really strange. Um, I don't really know how else to describe it, even as a poet. I don't have the words to describe the sort of experience apart from just 
weird, strange, a little bit uncomfortable because it just felt like I was talking to myself. But it was still, I was still really glad I, I got involved and it was a really good night listening to other people's work. Obviously, as part of the slam, you hear other people as well. Um, and actually, even though I was in my living room, not in the same space as them, I still actually felt um, what they were saying. So it was actually altogether still quite good. So yeah, there are pros of having the this sort of online stuff and I hope it, some of it carries on, but I can't wait for us to all be in the same room. I'm also really excited for that. When I'm performing poetry, I often do a lot of lampshading. Lampshading is a writer's technique where you call attention to a situation that the audience are already aware of. For example, at a live gig, you might hear a noise next door interrupting the proceedings, or personally for me, I often drop books on the floor. When I've done online gigs, I've tried to keep that same buoyant, daft energy when I'm performing, lampshading the situation and the stuff around me that's going on. I'm always struck by Dami's calm, confident style of performance, so I asked her how she adapted to online gigs. Um, I try to practice looking into the camera as opposed to sort of looking at myself or looking at, you know, um, other members of the audience. So that might help um, or should help in terms of like trying to connect with the audience. Um, Remembering to just unmute unmute your mic. (laughs) (laughs) But we just all forget to do, it happens to everyone. It's happened to me multiple times. I start off talking. Um, Just little things like that, I suppose, help. In terms of sort of that, just vibing with the audience. I don't know how to correct for that. Apart from just, most of us would have performed in live audiences before. So just trying to take yourself back to that space mentally. Dami's experience of being a medical student is threaded throughout her poetry. She uploaded her poem, Holding Hands, in October. It's a piece about the care within healthcare and obviously takes on a different meaning during the pandemic. Here's a little clip. Please pop over to YouTube to watch the full, wonderful version. I guess it makes sense the first hand I held was my father's. Fresh from my mother, they handed me across, still damp and white all over. There was safety there for me. For him to a clasp to confirm I survived the journey. As far as memory goes, the next few hands I remember holding were siblings usually crossing busy Lagos roads from mum's car to school or neighbours' houses or church from safety to safety. I remember the first time I felt uncomfortable holding a hand. It was my sister's. We were crossing a road in Wales, didn't register why, I just felt the eyes and felt uneasy, so I let go. We crossed side by side. Still safe, but less secure. Yeah, so it was an old poem before I, I I'd written it before 2020 and then after sort of the first lockdown it sort of it, it so I started to mean more to me because we couldn't do that anymore you know now in hospitals I'm not I'm not holding patients hands even though I you know I've got gloves and things like that but you can't spend that increased time in a bay with someone with COVID because you're worried about you know contracting it spreading it to other patients and things like that so personal contact has for me anyway reduced a lot um, and I was just kind of thinking about that a lot more and how that impacts on the patients as well because hospitals are not just about 
pumping drugs into people. It's about people interacting with people and helping them through a difficult time as well. Um, and to a certain extent, COVID has reduced our ability to do that. Um, and so that holding hands poems kind of meant a little bit more to me during that time. So I, I decided to share it then. Bring in these things that we can't necessarily show with cameras and things like that, that happen in the hospital and helping people outside of the hospital to, to get an idea of what it's like. Um, I think, yeah, that is a, a way to go. I asked Dami, as a medical student, whether she's experienced a lot of people denying COVID's threat or even existence. In the hospital, it's really hard for people to claim that it's not real because a lot of people in the hospital are suffering with it. So in in that sort of atmosphere, I don't see it or feel it. On Twitter, on Instagram and things like that, I see it all the time. And it's so weird to be scrolling through Twitter and seeing people say these things like, oh, you know, um, there have been posts about, I went to the A&E department in my local hospital and I, you know, recorded everything and there were no patients anywhere. And it's like, patients aren't sat in chairs in the waiting room of A&E. We would be doing the wrong thing if that's where the COVID patients were. And so it is really difficult to go into hospital, see these people suffering and then be online and just see these people denying it. Um, And I don't really know what the answer is because people have suggested oh we should record the people suffering and it's like if you were on a hospital bed suffering is that what you want right then is a camera in your face no let's not do that it's just a really really strange time yeah before twitter and instagram and things like that i i can't imagine that people were just people were denying that diseases um were real or i don't know it's just it's just a very strange time i don't know what should be done about it necessarily I just don't know is the general answer to that I asked Dami about where she gets her inspiration to write poetry most of the time the the initial idea for the poem happens when I'm I'm sat in a moment something happens I see something I'm like oh damn like I, I want to share this with people and then building because of course a poem doesn't just come to me just like that in that one moment completed and you know ready to go so the initial idea often is from a moment and experience that I'm having and then building on it later I try and think of how I want to tell the story aside from those three precious non-digital gigs I did in 2020 I also did a handful of live streamed online performances and the very first one was alongside Bridget I've had the pleasure of gigging with Bridget across the years because we both come from a punk scene. We share a love for DIY ethics and radical politics. Back in March, Bridget had the idea that we would do a shared set. Now, I don't want to say that we were trailblazers pioneering the online format, but yeah, we were totally trailblazers pioneering the online format. Yeah, totally, for sure. Yeah, for me, it was a really interesting time because I basically escaped my flat and went back to my mum's house in Southampton. Um, where I was still juggling um, really intense trauma therapy with being back in my old bedroom at my mum's house again. Um, and that was really weird. And um, part of like my coping mechanism is to throw myself into work because it's very stabilizing for me and I just like to get it done. And I just thought as soon as it was announced and people started maybe thinking about moving things online, I was like, this is such a great opportunity for all of us freelancers that have been playing around with programs and things online anyway, for us now to to make an actual go of that. 
and to make it accessible for people and to experiment with the space online and how it would work which is why initially I was like do you want to do an online gig because I mean when's even without the pandemic when would be the next time that you and I who live Mm. at opposite ends of the country be able to get together and do a gig again you know it just felt like this is something that we can legitimately do now so yeah let's put it out there and see what works and what doesn't work and then that fed into the stuff I was doing at Burning Eye as well. Doing online gigs can come with certain advantages. I really like it when people can have a little chat in the uh, comments underneath the video. You can curate responses, you can ask people to respond to things, you can communicate with them wherever they are, miles and miles away or the other side of the world. Yeah, I really like it, actually. like I'm one of those people that I don't particularly put a lot of time in like going out and going to a lot of gigs and socializing in that way because I find it quite exhausting a lot of the time and obviously anybody that's lived with a disability will say well yeah we've been saying this kind of stuff for years like make it more accessible but yeah I really like that comment feed at the bottom of a of a live gig where people can just um you know throw compliments out there thumbs up you know oh look there's your mum kind of thing (laughs) like whatever it like yeah I like the fact that that interrupt that um, interaction has changed, but not, but it's still there. And there's no question about whether it shouldn't be there. It's just, that's what's part of it. And also, yeah, allows people to type it and sort of have, have a bit of removal from it as well, which I think is quite necessary for some people, especially when they um, react um, to poetry. Something I really like about Bridget's performances are these, they always appear really spontaneous. There's always a little dance going along, a little like flicking through a book, a little bit of chatting to the audience. I asked them about how they prepare for gigs as well as keeping that spontaneous energy throughout their online performances. I really like planning. So I do like to, it is nice to be able to be like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be streaming this from my own place. Where do I want to sit? I'll sit on the floor behind the bookcase. You know, so when I, I did one for the Eat Up Collective in Bristol for uh, for Pride this year, and it was just after the Black Lives Matter march. So I had my um, Black Lives Matter placard that I made behind me in the background, some fairy lights and some things like that, just to make it a bit nicer than just, you know, your average plain wall with chip paint or anything on it. And yeah, I still like to generally I mean in the moment I'm always like oh maybe I'll just do that poem instead because I tend to just feed on how I'm feeling at the time but I do try to prepare what poems I'm going to do in advance but I think I've become really dependent on the page like I've slowly just moved away from memorizing everything and doing it more as a spoken word piece and obviously having my old book is really useful because I've got it there and it's there but new stuff Sometimes I feel like I'm like grabbling around with like trying to minimize things and get the right thing up. So there's, there's still that like spontaneity of like, don't mind me while I just pick up the tab, <laughs> you know. So there's, there's still that there, but it's just, um, just in a different format, really. The background's important for me, I think, because it allows you to, because you're basically inviting people into your space. And it's, you know, what kind of vibe do you want to give that? The pre-show anxiety is definitely still there, but it's in mm. a but it's different now because it's less about yeah going into someone else's space and more about inviting people into yours, which has a completely different vibe about it. During 2020, Bridget was able to set up They Us. They Us is a online writing and feedback group for people who identify as non-binary or gender non-conforming poets who would like to have a space that's just exclusively for those kinds of people 
because I've, I found before, right before starting the group, that there just aren't spaces for non-binary people or trans people generally. But I, I often see that non-binary people get lumped in with women a lot. So there's a lot of women's prizes that will have sort of non-binary as like somewhere in small print or whatever, you know, as a sort of afterthought. And that kind of annoys me because I don't, I, as someone who was assigned female at birth, I like to move away from that identity into being non-binary. So don't really like that association so much. So having a space just for non-binary people seemed like a great idea. And because of the work that I do for For Book's Sake, who facilitate the, the writing group, I was like, well, I've got, I've got a platform that I can use and a good idea. So let's make it happen. And the response was unbelievable. It sold out in 45 minutes of it being announced on Twitter which again only shows the level of demand for spaces like this. Um, so the group is 10 of us, there's 10 people. Um, we meet once a month on Zoom. Um, we usually have writing exercise and a lot of the group is um, focused on feedback for work and stuff. So there's a different range of people. We've got a scientific journalist writer, we've got fiction writers, poets, all sorts um, kind of mixed in there. So we're all kind of learning as we go along how to give good feedback to each other. And all of that work is centralized through using a, a shared Google folder. Um, so it's all entirely digital. And we're all from all over the country. Um, and one of us is in Sweden as well. So it's so nice to just have that space once a month and just to come together and, and you know, feel productive and feel like you're getting work done, but also supporting and networking with other non-binary writers. I asked Bridget what advice they'd give to event promoters. I think be brave and separate women and non-binary people and maybe just dedicate one of your lineups to all non-binary people. So all of the performers are non-binary, all of the open mic spots go to people that are non-binary and make sure you nurture that space. For any organisation or people that run organisations that are listening, you have to create a space, like a separate space, not one that's compromised with something else. Um, non-binary people exist um, and they deserve to network with each other and to um, build up recognition basically I think that's that's a true thing to say so yeah I think it's just about dedicating some time and space to celebrate those people and to recognize that gender non-conforming and non-binary people come in all shapes and sizes and that is to be celebrated okay bit of a curveball here folks what's your favorite performance in Greece, you know, Greece the musical. What's your favourite song or scene? You see, Bridget has written a collection of poems inspired by the hit musical. For me, I really strongly remember the bit at the beginning where it's all animated. I always thought that was really weird and appealing. I have a really, um, and I'm sure lots of people listening have a quite complicated relationship with writing. I struggle to focus and sit down and write things because my survivor instincts make it very difficult for me to be able to write about certain subjects, even though these things are on the tip of my tongue and I want to write about them. You know, there's this self-preservation that I, you know, need to not do that. And so I was trying to think back on when I really found joy with writing. And that was when I was younger and I was writing like Harry Potter fan fiction and like making up role play stories with my best friend, you know, and we would take characters that existed from 
things that we liked already, like Buffy and things like that, and interject them into the stories, and it would just be fantastic and amazing. And it gave me such joy to to do that. And so I I wasn't intentionally thinking starting out to be like, okay, I'm going to write a Grease collection. It was actually this time last year when I went away on the Stacey Murrin Memorial Trip, which is a trip I do every year to celebrate my best friend's birthday. And I basically just wrote, I think I'd watched Grease the week before that because it was on TV, Christmas time, you know, that kind of jazz. And the, the scene that gets me in Greece every time is when Kanicki takes Danny aside and he's like, will you be my second at Thunder Road? And they like have this like really soft moment and then they cuddle at the end and then they're like, oh, <coughs> yeah, anyway, you know, men. Duh, 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 duh. But that moment is so beautiful. And if you watch Greece back, like Kaniki is such a soft character. He, there's so much softness in him that I think the the macho-ness is something that he really puts on. It's not really him. And so I started by writing a poem called um, On Kaniki's Softness, which I then performed at a night for Malaika in Bristol that was um, poetry and musicals. Um, and that's sort of what got me started, really. And then I started thinking, OK, well, well OK, what's the, what could I write about next? And I've, I've been watching Grease since I was a kid, you know, it's just a film that I've always loved and I love musicals. And um, it is very heteronormative, but that isn't what I what that isn't what I see when I watch it. I see really queer people <laughs> hiding behind heteronormativity. And I also see a film about working class kids just trying to like figure it out and, you know, get through high school and that kind of thing. And so I just found it all really inspiring. And then it just sort of I was like, oh, I've written five now or six poems. Ooh. And, you know, it's just sort of kept going since then really and now it's sort of up to 15 pages of, of Greece poems which is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun though because everyone has an opinion about Greece yeah. so you tell one person and they're like oh really da, 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 da. and you know I get tagged in like Twitter things about Greece and Greece too like anything to do with Greece that ever comes out any news stories anything people immediately tag me now because that, that's what they associate me with as a poet which I'm fine with if you're from a geeky like nerdy background you are very used to the idea of queering up characters I think you know you do cosplay and that's a lot of what cosplay is as well it's like cosplaying these characters and then doing really gay photo shoots you know it's really fun and like it's nice to be able to like yeah like you say reclaim something and give it a new a new polish and and the people that have read the manuscript so far have then gone and watched Greece after reading it and they're like I now watch it in a completely different way because I've read these poems and I'm like great mission accomplished <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 Cosplaying, subverting, reimagining, hacking, playing with text and characters can help us process the world around us over lockdown number one, I found myself finding instances of trade unionism and industrial action in cartoons. I watched things like SpongeBob SquarePants, Recess and Count Ducula and found the radical politics hidden within the text. Hey, I had to find something to do. I asked Dami about how we can use poetry to process the world around us. Often, you know, with my poetry, like I said, something's happened that's triggered me wanting to write about this particular thing. And so I was kind of like, oh, well, Dami, you always say you need something to happen to be able to write about it. Something's happening now. But actually, like, like you said, we're still in the middle of it. I don't know how this story ends. Last year, 2020, has just been one thing after another, after another, after another. 
I've not had time to process the last thing before the next thing happens. Maybe in a year, maybe maybe six months, things might be better. Maybe in a year, things might be better. And then we can start to sit down and look back and properly process things. But for now, like there are ideas. I've put down a few things that I would probably want to write about. But the actual sitting down and processing it and writing it has not had time to happen yet. I know I'm nowhere near to processing the macro, just focusing on the micro to get by. Um, but I've really got into the habit of reading lots of different newspapers in the morning when I get up. I figured out that that's what I like to do in the morning, like to read different newspapers. And so from that point of view, like reading about stuff and almost reading it with my history degree head on, I, I am thinking about this as a bigger picture and thinking about this pandemic and how this will be an epoch of time in our society. And But also looking at the movements and the the ideas of human society and how that's evolved, especially over the last, in the 20th century. Like, I'm tr- I think the main thing is, is that we give, we put too much energy into witch hunting other people. And so there's a lot of blaming that group of people and blaming that group of people for not wearing a mask. And, and like, uh, like, I'm not saying, I'm not making excuses for anybody or, you know, trying to, you know, downplay the seriousness of what is going on. But Humans are humans, and I think we've always been like this, with or without social media. I think social media just makes it very apparently obvious um, and accentuates it a lot. I think that there's a lot of people out there that have really been learning things about themselves, and I think having time off, like the the first lockdown that we had, I think gave a lot of people the opportunity to slow down in their lives and take stock of what's important to them and to allow people to make better decisions politically and um, for the environment, which maybe wouldn't have happened before because people are relentlessly working all of the time. So it will be really interesting to see the positives that come out of this in terms of events becoming more accessible, more people getting food from local local sources and things like that, supporting community endeavours, being aware of who your neighbours are, you know, I hope that that is something that, that we continue to build on, you know, and that community, because that community and that sense of the people, that's what's going to save us from the tyranny of our government. It's interesting as well to think about, you know, our world leaders and what a shit show our world leaders are mm. producing at the moment. And it takes something like a pandemic for that to really shine the light on actually how ill prepared our governments are and how little they care about people. And then maybe thinking more critically about that and thinking okay well how can we take power away from the government and give it to ourselves Mm. um and i think you know i read this year was probably the best year to read it i read rebecca solnit's a hope in the dark which is a book about positive activism and about how there is no end goal there is only moving forward Mm. and i think we need to remember that that this is we are still moving forward mm-hmm. we have these unique challenges that are happening right now but we are always moving forward there is not an end goal the end of coronavirus or everyone being vaccinated is not the end goal there is still work to do and we still have to do work beyond that to make sure that we are prepared for another pandemic because this will happen again i asked dami about her thoughts expectations and hopes for the future i don't know if this is particularly because of the things that have happened in 2020 or maybe just general growth and getting older. I think the one thing I've taken away is people are just doing things. (laughs) Um, And often with myself in the past, I always feel like if something is not absolutely perfect or if I'm not 100% sure, I can't go ahead and I can't do it. And 
honestly, 2020, I just feel like everyone was just doing, they have an idea, they go for it. So I think a lot of actually quite competent people because of, maybe because of the competence, maybe because of just self-awareness and everything, we overanalyze and we absolutely try and make sure things are absolutely perfect before we go for it and we do things. And actually more of those people need to just go ahead and just do the thing because the people who aren't quite competent are just going ahead and doing it anyway. <laughs> so maybe we should all just be doing things. So that's the thing that I'm trying to take forward is to just have a bit more confidence, do the things anyway, even if you don't feel 100%. I want to be able to see my mum. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to meet friends outside and actually, you know, hug them. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be able to stand on a stage and perform to people who can, you know, click back, you know, just <laughs> so many things that I just did not think I would be wishing for. Suddenly I'm wishing for. Yeah, I think we've just taken a lot of stuff for granted. Um, and I can't wait till we can have them back. You know what, folks? I've actually enjoyed performing into a camera. Obviously, it doesn't replace the bouncy, clattery energy of performing live, but it does come with its own positives and innovations. Performance poetry, for me, simply comes down to sharing yourself on a stage. That stage can also be a digital stage, just about how you dress and address it. I don't know about you folks, but I really want to go to a gig now. Thanks for listening. Bridget tweets at beheartyear, and their website is bridgetheart.wordpress.com. Dami has a poetry page, which is Dami Poetry. You can give Sao a like on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you get a chance, please check out the other Sao But Stay In podcasts. I've been Henry Raby, also on Twitter and Facebook. Music supplied by Drooligan. Cheers. Bye.